Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the Sabres pulled out an exciting 3-1 to victory over one of the NHL's best in the Boston Bruins on Thursday and what could be best described as a completely shocking victory given how the team has been playing as of late. They then followed that up with a 3-2 to shootout loss against the Montreal Canadiens. In both of these games, Devin Levi received the start going back-to-back here. First, of course, as we mentioned, picking up a huge win in Boston, followed by a really tough loss against Montreal, a game that they otherwise should have won. The Sabres had their highest shot total of the season with 48 in this game, including 16 during the third period, but that was not enough to get by the brick wall that is Caden Primu. Anyways, though, Taylor, the Sabres have now won only one of their last six games. Things are not looking good on the standings front as they have several games in hand over many of their counterparts in the Eastern Conference playoff race. How are you feeling about the Sabres, though, after this pair of games in which they looked significantly better as compared to their recent stretch of games? Hmm, I feel like they... You, You bring up a good point at the end there. They do look better, but they're still letting opportunities slip by. And I don't actually don't even feel like this is the same thing as the, oh, wow, they beat the Bruins, they lose to a bad team, kind of, oh, they're so inconsistent. They actually have looked good in, in these recent, I want to say, three games. The Boston game was awesome. But to answer the question about feeling overall, I feel like they've let opportunities slip away. And they're really at a point where I don't know if you can say that it's even realistic to talk about the playoffs as a concept. Like I know it's only December 10th and probably December 11th when you're listening to this, but I I just starting to feel like that's such a unreasonable, unrealistic thing to talk about uh, that at this point, which is really heartbreaking considering our expectations, but it is good to see that they've played better. Well, and as we're talking about them crawling back into seriously being in playoff contention here, something that would go a long way would be getting back-to-back wins, something that the Sabres have yet to do this season. It just completely derails them because there are times where they look great against some of the NHL's best in teams like Boston or the Rangers or Carolina, and then they follow it up with a 3-2 to shootout loss against a team like Montreal, a team that you absolutely unequivocally should be better than. 
So it's a really tough spot that they're in right now, but for them to make any kind of traction in this playoff race, it's going to start with them being able to string together more than one win at a time. They're going to need to have a, a handful of three, four, five-game winning streets, streaks throughout the rest of the season to be able to climb back into contention. Taylor, as I mentioned, though, in the intro there, Devin Levi made back-to-back starts after he was called up with UPL going down with what I believe was an illness that had knocked him out for these couple of games. Taylor, you, uh, Devin Levi, of course, he has a good performance in both of these games, obviously was fantastic against Boston. For me, I'm still of the belief that they should not deviate from their plan, which is keeping him in Rochester to allow him to get a ton of starts, allow him to get more acclimated to playing at the professional level. But do you feel as though that Levi is maybe playing himself into sticking around, or do you think that the the Sabres should stick with their plan and keep Levi in Rochester? I would actually like to see Levi in Rochester, despite how well he played last night. I might change that opinion depending on how well he does down there and how poorly Eric Comrie does in the NHL. But yeah, for now, I, I kind of would still like to see that. I thought he deserved more time down there. My opinion really hasn't changed that much that it's really hard to play in the NHL when you're 21, that it's kind of unrealistic. And if you're going to have three goalies, you're going to have guys not playing a lot. So you might as well have Levi get the time in Rochester. I think you really got to be thinking of his development. Like, as I said before, the playoffs are not really a realistic consideration considering where they are right now. So Levi in this situation, I just, I, like I said, he played really well Saturday night, but at this point, is that, is that what you want out of him to have a a good game every once in a while and then watch UPL and Comrie play? I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing to know because he obviously is so uh, mature beyond his ears he's mentally really tough he's adapted really well to different situations but it's just we've said it a million times it's not really realistic to play in the nhl at this age so i'd really rather see him in rochester completely agree taylor i think that it's best for him it's it's best for the overall plan for the team and again if you get to a point where Comrie is just so unreliable and levi is down there and he's lighting the world on fire then of course i mean if he earns his way back up he should but it's about what's best for his development path. And it's about what what's best for the team here. And what's best is to be able to lean on UPL a little bit more while also giving Devin Levi the opportunity to play on a regular basis. Levi, as we mentioned, of course, gets the call up and plays in these couple games. These past two games were also our opportunity to get to see Eric Robinson, the new acquisition from Columbus, traded for a conditional seventh rounder here, which is looking like it's probably going to end up not being anything just judging by the fact that Robinson would be required to, I believe, play 45 games with the Sabres through the rest of the season, which just seems highly unlikely. But it was our first look at him. He ended up getting a five-minute major penalty on Wednesday for a not-so-great hit from behind against Montreal. Taylor, that is well, your thoughts on that, I guess, for one. But also, what are your thoughts on – what are your early impressions of Eric Robinson in a Sabres uniform? I'm not surprised, I guess. Yeah. He really just does look like a fourth liner to me. And I don't know. I haven't seen anything that makes me think like, wow, thank God he's here and not Brandon Byro. Like we really needed this guy. Right. As far as the five minute major, I, am I wrong to think that's kind of ridiculous? I, I look yeah. at it. It wasn't a great hit, but I don't know. That wasn't like uh, I didn't look malicious. at that as like malicious or super no. dangerous. Like it's a kind of an awkward hit in an awkward spot. I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't think that was that bad. As far as how he's played, he doesn't. 
I wouldn't say he particularly stands out. I don't watch him and haven't watched these two games being like, wow, there's Eric Robinson. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of the guy I thought he was. You, is that what your impression of him has been as well? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, he can skate like he's a better skater than Opozo is, I guess, which is something, but it's he he's not a difference maker. He's not a needle mover. It's not like you're getting some incredible find of a fourth liner or you're getting somebody that's of the upper echelon of, of fourth liners in the NHL to step into this role for you. He's just a guy. He is a body. I don't think that he's going to make a difference for you one way or another. And if he does make a difference, it's more likely to be a negative difference. So again, I mean, I just, I don't know. My, my thoughts on the trade have not changed at all just because of how little I thought of it from the time of it happening. I mean, he, I, I don't know. I, it's not even like to say he was fine. I mean, he was just, he was a hockey player, Taylor. I watched a hockey player play in a hockey game twice in a Buffalo Sabres uniform for the first time. So yeah, it was, it, it is what it is. I mean, well, I guess we'll see how, things end up shaking out with him moving forward and what, I mean, we know what his role is going to be. So it's not even like you can, you know, assume that his role is going to expand, but just to how many minutes he's going to get, what it's going to look like when he's out there, is he going to make a difference on the penalty kill for them? Potentially. I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't really have many thoughts on it because of the fact that it's a pretty insignificant thing for me. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. That's probably enough talk about him then. I would agree. I would agree, Taylor. So why don't we talk about, do you have anything you want to talk about actually between the two games here? I mean, we could talk about Boston, Boston a little bit here because that was a a really good effort by the Sabres. I thought that they skated hard. They played right up there with, again, one of the best teams in the NHL, which it was an all around good team effort. I mean, Levi had 29 saves in the game. It was good to see that they were able to snap out of the losing streak. I believe they had lost four straight going into that one. And Tage scoring his first goal since November 4th. Obviously, there was an injury uh, that had kept him out there for quite a bit, but good to see him back and getting back on the score sheet this weekend. Any thoughts on the Boston game, Taylor? Yeah, they looked awesome. Yeah. They really took it to him throughout the entire game. I will say this about Boston this year. I think there's a lot of people, because Boston's record is still really good, that are maybe thinking like, wow, they'll just be good forever. Look at Boston. They're just as good, not as good as last year. Obviously they're not going to win as many games. Uh, And they've slowed down a little bit. There's people are wondering, I guess like, Hey, they lost these, these collection of guys, including most importantly, Patrice Bergeron. Why are they still good? Like, why are they still uh, at the top of the East or the, well, the top of the East and the top of the Atlantic. Why, like, why are they, why are we not rid of them? And let me tell you something, pal, two reasons. Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman. <laughs> That's they're not that good of a team this year. They're good, but they're not the kind of like they, if they get like 120 points this year, they're not really a 120 point team. They have 924 goaltending. That's really good in the modern NHL. That's like 20 points above average, and it's gotten a little bit worse. But since so so have they. I mean they're they're 18 five and three. That's kind they've slowed down a little bit in that regard. And they're uh, in terms of pace, they're pretty much right with the Rangers, so they're still at the top. But they're not dominating. You look at their underlings, they're just pretty good. So Boston is not that that's I just get out of the way uh, to start. They're not the team they were last year. However, they're still really good. They're still solid. They're still a tough team to play. And for the Sabres to come out and have almost 20 shots in the first period, that was great to see. And they took him took it to him for the full 60 minutes. 
couldn't quite get the shutout, but it was a, it was a, a particularly impressive effort. And I think what's actually a good thing, it doesn't sound like a good thing, but I think it is, is I didn't watch that game and think like, wow, X person stood out because it, it, anyone who played well didn't stand out because everyone was playing well. That's it's a good uh, not problem to have, but it's like a good barometer. It's just a, it's a good sign after a game that you're like, wow, there, there's no one really that stood out because that was such impressive effort. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Do, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I would say I think all in all, like you said, I agree with everything you said about the game. It was it was a good effort from the team. There is one thing, though, not to switch gears too much here, but I did want to bring up that I think is worth uh, a little bit more discussion. And it's the fact that Ryan Johnson didn't play on Saturday. Oh, that's true. Scratched in favor of the likes of Connor Clifton, which his season isn't getting any better here, folks. And. I believe somebody, I can't remember who it was, but somebody recently had shared the buyout details of what it would look like if the Sabres were to buy him out at the end of this year. And it was relatively doable. And it's a shame that we're already thinking about this in December of the first year of his contract. But man, oh man, Clifton has not looked good. And for a team that is fighting for their lives right now, they cannot afford to not be playing their best players. I mean, they're already kind of doing that to a degree within the forward group, but you got to be playing Johnson on a night-to-night basis here. Am I right, Taylor? I mean, we've said it several times. Absolutely, yeah. He's he's probably been their third best defenseman this year, and there's just there's no excuse at this point. The guy is ready. He routinely gives you better minutes when he's out on the ice as compared to a guy like Clifton, for example, it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense. It's not that it doesn't make sense. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. It's just inexcusable to be to be doing this when this guy is just so noticeably better and gives you so much more than what Clifton gives you. I know we've talked about him compared to Eric Johnson as well. Johnson has obviously not had the best season, but I believe I had saw something recently that it said just generally speaking. He's had his ups. He's had, his, had, had he's certainly had his downs, but he's been replaced. He's been a pretty average kind of replacement level player this year, which I think is fair to expect of a guy of his age. And if we're being honest, his foot speed too at this stage of the game. But Taylor Johnson not getting in against Montreal here. This is the this has happened a, a few times as of late with Johnson getting scratched and again in favor of guys who he absolutely should be playing over, just given skill and impact on the ice. What are your thoughts on this and how imperative is it that Johnson is in the lineup on a night to night basis, given what the makeup of this D group is right now? Yeah, I think it's important because for the most part, he's been their third best defenseman. I think you'd clearly say he's a better season than Samuelson so far, which no one would have expected coming into the season. But I don't think you can. I just think it's hard if Don Granado you know, has to not just like look Ryan Johnson in the eye and and say, hey, you're sitting tonight and Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson are. He has to tell the whole team that. And I know the team probably has some level of respect for both those guys because like Clifton was playing for what was at the time last year. It was the best regular season team ever. And Eric Johnson's won a cup and he's been around forever. So I'm sure they're respected, but is that a little demoralizing as a player to know that someone who has played that well isn't going to be in the lineup. I just think at this point until he has, you know, if he has some kind of rookie wall or uh, hits a rut or something like that, you can bench him. But it, while he's playing well, I just, 
I don't see how you even sell that. I'm not an NHL coach and I've never been in an NHL locker room, but it's hard for me to see how like you sell the players on like, Hey, you know, who's playing tonight, Clifton and Johnson together again, it's going to work out. Eric Johnson's not going to be 36. I swear it's going to work out, bro. I swear. (laughs) Just, just give me a few more games, just 17 more games. We're going to get it up to a solid 43% expected goals. So, (laughs) I don't know. The Clifton thing is still weird to me because he was good last year and he's not old. So I don't know. My friend that's a Bruins fan said to me on Twitter that Clifton is just super inconsistent. Basically, you don't know what kind of Clifton you're going to get. And that's actually good to hear because we've got nothing but bad Clifton. So I started to think like maybe he just always sucked and he was covered by the Bruins, you know, Cassidy and then Montgomery being good coaches or whatever. But if it's just a consistency problem, then maybe we'll get good Clifton in the second half of the year. Eric Johnson, I don't know what to say. I mean, you took a risk because he didn't look very good last year. And it turns out he is washed. But yeah, the, go, going back to the Eric Ryan Johnson thing, I don't see how you sell that. It's And I don't think it's actually good. It's not good for his development to be up in the press box. And there's definitely no way you can sell him going back to Rochester at this point. So oh. this is what we were talking about recent episodes. You got to make a hard decision. This isn't making the... Uh, the most sound and well-reasoned draft pick in a certain situation. This is a hard, tough decision, real human consequences that the team might not like, or they might like, who knows that Don Granado is going to have to sell in the locker room. You have to figure out, are you going to just start benching Eric Johnson every night? Are you going to put Clifton in the press box, even though he's not even one sixth of the way through his contract he signed? There are several little decisions that are quote unquote hard ones, but like, let's be real Taylor. Like they should be easy. They should be easy decisions to make because you are so making that, them for the what better of your team. To know what to do is not the hard part, right? It's but the, it's hard to actually do it once you make the decision. So they know that they they I hope they know that Ryan Johnson's playing much better and that he should be in the lineup and that Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton shouldn't be as consistently in the lineup. But to actually do that is the hard part. Well, I guess that's the difference between good teams and mediocre teams. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. You got to be willing to do these things. It's just the same thing as you got to be willing to make a move at one point, a trade, a free agent signing, get a goalie, all those things. You got to be willing to do those. Yeah. This is just another good example of that. There's too many of these examples. And quite frankly, I am sick of them. You know what I'm not sick of, though? What? Hearing a word from our sponsor. That's right. I never get sick of it. I never get sick of reading them either. We love it, folks. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. This week, what's going on in the world in the NHL? Well, it's Monday. When you're listening to this, the Sabres are playing the Arizona Coyotes, who are really fighting for a playoff spot. That's interesting. And even though the Coyotes have a pretty good record this year, they are underdogs in Buffalo. You can bet the Sabres, if you want to bet, on the money line for minus 130. Those are the odds you're getting right now as of Sunday night. So that's interesting. And if you want to bet on that game, any hockey game, or really sports in general, you got to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net and your call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Connecticut, problem... Help is available for problem gambling. Call 
789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 and over, but age will vary by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, term and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. So, yeah, it's just, it. it's a weird thing because I they beat, the team that technically is number one in the East right now. And I don't actually feel any different about the Sabres based on that. I know they've played well in a couple games in a row, but I got to keep seeing it. Uh, the only, you know what? There's only one thing I guess really to, to say about the Sabres. That's new. Alex Tuck is a father. Shout out Alex Tuck. Yeah. Congrats to him. And uh, hopefully a speedy recovery as well. And his, uh, his hamstring injury. Well, and speaking of recovery, Jack Quinn back on the ice without a non-contact Jersey. What will end up being a huge boost to this top six forward group, in addition to the fact that this was supposed to be a really big season for Quinn, expecting him to take to take a step forward, similar to what we've seen out of JJ Paterka here. Taylor, give me your thoughts on what it means to hopefully very soon have Jack Quinn back in the lineup for the Sabres. Honestly, it'd be huge. I have been pinning my hopes on the fact that the Sabres haven't had Jack Quinn yet this year, and maybe he is the reason they were as good as they were last year. Actually, in all seriousness, it's really exciting. I think people might forget how good Jack Quinn was in the second half of last year and how he adapted so quickly from being a guy who, yeah, obviously some people didn't like him as a draft pick. He still was a top 10 pick, so some people believed in him. Uh, but he he had the misfortune of that being kind of a weird COVID-shortened year, and had only 30 AHL games in his first season. I mean, that's a disaster. But the next year, fantastic, one of the best 19-year-old, 20-whatever season he was uh, in the AHL. Unbelievable. And then last season, his first NHL season, uh, continuing to get better throughout the year. I think he was a 20-goal guy, or he was pretty close to it. Uh, And the other thing is, throughout the season, he got better at being like a 200-foot guy. That's not something I was really expecting out of rookie Jack Quinn. Mm-hmm. I was expecting goals and, you know, hoping to see some growth. But the way he played at the end of the last year, he was dynamite. And the, the line with him, Paterka, and Cousins was incredible. So I'm actually extra excited to see him with Paterka now that Paterka's played so much better this year. And is, in fact, I'm pretty sure either leading the Sabres in goals or tied with Skinner. So it's it's gen- it's it's very exciting. So hopefully three weeks or so and he's on the ice, that'd be fantastic. He's pretty much on the timetable they said he'd be on. Right, which, which is great to see. Keep Not you... a given with this franchise. That's true. It's good to, to see the he all of his limbs. I mean, that's at least <laughs> a, a positive. Also, to your point, Taylor, J.J. Paterka is just one goal back of Jeff Skinner for the team lead. Paterka has 11 goals in 28 games, and Skinner has 12 in 28. So, again, Paterka having an excellent season thus far, 20 points in 28 games for the Sabres, really making his presence known and his impact known on a nightly basis for this team. Should we switch it up and quickly talk about the other Buffalo sports team, Taylor? Absolutely, folks. The Since the Toronto Blue Jays missed out on Shohei Otani, so did the Buffalo Bisons, uh, mm. and we're all heartbroken. No, hey, what, I'll, what I will say, though, man, those Bills, they were a terror out there on the field today. Wouldn't you agree, Taylor? <laughs> they really were. They were unbelievable. They were, hold on, I'm searching for a good joke. I can't find one. I bet I'll be able to find it in 10 years or so. So I think 
the, the Bills game, I, I don't know what this is. The Bills uh, own Arrowhead, except for that one game where they really, uh, it would have mattered a lot more had they played that one time. (laughs) Yeah. That one time, remember that one time in the past three years where uh, the bills could have won an arrowhead and it would have meant a lot. And you know, they more or less had the game one. I know you remember Brendan because I was there. That was it. Besides that though, man, three straight regular season wins in arrowhead. Yeah. It was something the chiefs don't really lose there a lot. It was a very entertaining game as build. I mean, it, it, Lived up to it. Obviously, there was a lot of drama there with the Kadarius Tony touchdown that ended up getting called back because of the neutral zone infraction with him lining up off sides. That was that's a backbreaker. That's like a Billsy way to lose a game right there. That was that was tough to see. But Josh ended up pulling through with a couple of unbelievable plays that quite frankly only Josh Allen could make in this one. The Bills ended up pulling out, I believe the final was what, 2017? Yep. I mean, are you are the Bills back and are are you back with the Bills? Uh, I don't know about the second one. I don't know about back. They're back in it definitely, just because everyone pretty much lost that they needed to. So six that the teams, AFC six teams sitting at seven and six right now, including the Bills. Yeah, and it's it's the whole AFC is within like a few games. How, that that part is already crazy enough because that's more than a third of the AFC. But it's not even just that. Like looking at it right now, uh, so obviously Baltimore is ten and three now. Good for them. Good for you guys. I hope you're really happy with yourselves. But the Chiefs and the Jaguars and the Browns are eight and five. So there are nine of the eleven teams are seven and six or eight and five. Nine of the top eleven, and then you have three five and eights. And Tennessee could be five and eight after tonight. And when when you're listening to this, the Monday night game. How insane is that? Absurd. It's wild. Well, I mean, one of the five and eight teams is the Chargers after they lost today. And and for, uh, I don't know, 20th week in a row, an AFC quarterback got hurt. Justin Herbert's hurt now. So I don't know if we're going to see him. Yeah. Wild. Just a, a really weird stretch. So if, as far as the Bills being back, I don't know. I mean, I mean, they beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. So I, I don't know why I'm hemming and hawing about this right after they almost won in Philadelphia. They were extremely close to winning in Philadelphia last week. Two weeks ago, that was. Sorry. Yep. And pounded the Jets at home. So Josh maybe back to playing like Josh, it feels like. That's true. And I think that in general, I'm really happy with the offense, but did feel for a little while there before their field goal drive that the Chiefs kind of had their number for a lot of the third quarter and first half of the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you agree with that, but yeah, their defense was really getting to Josh and a lot of drops too. I wasn't thrilled with that, but hey. A lot better mood than I was like two hours ago. <laughs> yeah, you you can say that again, my friend. Could not agree more. So with that being said, Taylor, only a few weeks left in this regular season. Do they do it? As of right now, on December 10th at 9 p.m., do the Bills make the playoffs? I think so now. Yeah, I kind of think so. But I'm still not super sold on that. I'm more like 51-49 on that now. Partially because of the – I mean, I already felt good about the Chargers game, but if Herbert is injured and they're we're playing Easton Stick. Oh, yeah, baby. I mean, I have one of those. It's really not that impressive. I don't <laughs> – like, it's crazy. But they 
that, that should just be, I mean, Easton stick. That's gotta be a win. I mean, I, I they, they lost to Mac Jones this year, so I shouldn't say that, but Mac Jones. So Mac Jones or Bailey's happy will be coming to Buffalo. And I know the Patriots defense has been dynamite lately, but I think that should be a win. And then who knows we get, you know, there's the, the Cowboys game. That's huge. That's next week. Yeah. That's gonna really be a, a, a very pivotal game against good. Cowboys probably, who, probably who should be the MVP front runner, or at least in the top three of that conversation, at least in Dak Prescott. Yeah, I agree. And is this the first time Diggs is going to play his brother? I'm pretty sure Trayvon Diggs is out for the year. Is he really? Didn't he get hurt? Didn't he have an ACL? Oh, man. I didn't know it was an ACL. Yeah, I think he had an ACL. Let me double. Yep. Yeah. Well, scratch that. The Diggs brothers matchup is canceled. Okay. Pushing it back. Sorry to bring up a sore subject, but I got to be honest. I don't know if it's going to happen now, but. Like ever, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Now, who knows? Maybe one of them will be in a different conference at some point. True. As far as the playoffs go, yeah, like the Cowboys do look really good. It is a home game, luckily, so that that should be nice. Uh, so hopefully that's you know fingers crossed that that could be if that's a win that I'm gonna be you know super super hyped about that. But I, the thing that gets me is like, I mean, the Browns have a really good defense, but I don't know. Joe Flacco looks pretty good today. Is Joe Flacco gonna lead them to the playoffs? Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked like he was playing hurt today because he was. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, I don't know if you watched that on Thursday. He looked terrible. What a very, week very this has been. It's been a really active week for, for Buffalo sports. I mean, should should we talk about the article at all? Would you yeah. would you do you have any thoughts to share? I read I read all twenty thousand words of it and I paid the eight dollars. I think this, if I'm gonna say something different than everyone else, I think people have a really poor understanding of anonymous sources. And what sourcing is, and if you really want to make a good faith effort to understand how re- reporters should behave in these situations, you should go. You should read the AP, the Associated Press, their guidelines on it. I think I read them. You know, read them over again recently. I mean, I learned them in college too. Not the same thing, but you learn that concept in college. Because I see people throwing things around, and it's like, what are you talking about, man? People say you've you've heard this too. People say X Y Z is journalism one hundred and one. Well, tell I can tell you what, buddy. I took journalism one hundred and one. It was called Intro to Media, and we didn't learn any of the shit you people are talking about. Yeah. We learned uh, – I mean, it was kind of a weird class, but we learned, like, about the history of media. So, like, you learn about tapes, uh, newspapers, uh, digital, the ethics of, like uh, – I remember a big thing we talked about at the time was Mega Upload. They were in a bit of hot water, but that's a dated reference because it was kind of old then, and that was 12 years ago. The point is, is that – a lot of people say stuff about journalism, and I'm just kind of confused by it. And I was stupid enough to get a degree in journalism, so I I do have some wisdom I can share about this industry I don't work in anymore. And one of the things is anonymous sources. It's not a sketchy thing to use, but it like in general, yes, has to be under circum- certain set of circumstances. The thing is, there has to be a certain level of trust in a reporter uh, because a lot of the the rules that they should be following you don't know about. You, you know the rules, but you don't know whether they did or not. It's not clear based on their work whether you know how much they followed those rules. But the person we're talking about here is Ty Dunn. It's his piece for Go Long, which is his own subscription site that he runs. But he's a guy that he worked for the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal. He worked for the Buffalo News. He's not just some guy. And I think just some guy might, you know, you can be a, a blogger and or whatever, a non-professional journalist and be trusted. But He's a guy that worked for the newspapers the traditional way for years, and then he 
He also worked for Bleacher Report, which I, doesn't sound like very impressive anymore, but there was a little while where Bleacher Report was really collecting all of a lot of big name sports guys. Howard Beck, for example, like for a couple of years, they were really, they had a, a strong outlet. So it's not just nobody. So just to be clear what I'm talking about here is one of the reasons someone would say something anonymously, the big reason would be fear of retaliation. And that's actually laid out in the AP guidelines. When you read that, if you actually go to read it, like like I'm telling you to, you'll see that it doesn't talk about sports. These are usually for more important situations. Um, they even mentioned like whistleblowers. Well, this isn't whistleblowing. So yeah, we have to deal with this. There's nothing weird about it. There's nothing annoying about it. Sports are inherently less important than like big, you know, world uh, matters, big <laughs> geopolitical matters. This isn't Israel Palestine. Like, however. It is still a story. It's interesting. It's interesting uh, because people are interested in it. That's actually something I did learn in journalism school. One of my professors told me the classic saying, news is what the people are talking about. And this is what people are talking about. People care about the NFL, so it matters. So anyway, getting more to this point, the reason that these sources in the story would want to remain anonymous should be so obvious I can't believe it has to be explained. You you can't, especially, if, let's say, for the guys that were former assistant coaches. If you're a... I don't know, a tight ends coach for an NFL team, and you're hoping to climb the ladder and get better. You can't just be going out in the media openly talking shit about your old coach, especially if it's a successful coach like Sean McDermott has been. You can't do that. Yep. Ex-players, it looks really bad in players too. Most players in the NFL are not fringe players, but they could easily be gone in a second. It it looks bad for them too. It's in 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 cases where um it if, if, even if it's someone that can and does have the ability to talk and not get in too much trouble for it, like a really well-established player, there's just no point in putting your name on it because then everyone comes back at you. That's just a question all the time. And then that is the big thing. Like you remember LaShawn McCoy being like, fuck Chip Kelly, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it became a big thing. We had to play them and he had to get asked about it for a week. And then we lost and he was mad like that. It's that's a whole, you don't want that to be a whole thing. So the, the former matters a lot more than the latter. If, if it's just protecting your job and prote- protecting your career, guys just wouldn't go on the record for that. But I do understand. I'm going to lend an olive branch here. In general, with these anonymous stories, people think maybe the reporter is getting manipulated or whatever, especially if it's a GM, an agent that's involved as a, as a source or whatever. That's definitely possible, especially in stories where there's one or two sources and it's kind of a little he said, she said. I'm sorry, guys, 25 sources? On this story, the painting a similar picture. Even some of the people who spoke positively about McDermott conceded that he was a tough guy to he's a tough guy to play for, a tough guy to work with, but they said good things as well. It's it's not nothing. This doesn't have to be people feel the need to be like, wow, this means that he should go to prison and he's Literally. dead to me. Or it's nothing, it's a distraction, everyone's out to get us, or this guy just wants subscriptions or whatever. It's just, it, the reaction's been very stupid. But the last thing I want to say about the anonymous sources thing uh, is that you, you can't just look at, because there's so much, and it's political stuff, White House reporting, relies heavily anonymous sources, everything, sports. You have to look at it this way. People just aren't going to go on the record. I'm not going to say, let's say I'm... Me, Taylor and I, girly, I was the Bills tight end coach. And I was like, this fucking guy, Sean McDermott's impossible to work with. And he's a hypocrite. He gets nervous. He's a control freak. He can't take blame. All those things. And I'm putting my name on that, right? Here, I'm not going to put my name on that, but I'm telling you that. To a reporter. And the reporter's like, no, I need it on the record. Or I can't run with it. 
that's not going to sway me. That's going to, oh, okay, well, I'm, you know, you know about it. It's for you, balls in your court. I'm not putting my name on it. That's what's going to happen. And that information is just never going to come out. And that's the same thing that would happen anywhere in the world. So, yes, it is better to have someone on the record saying X, Y, Z happened. In the middle of, let's say, the goodness scale, the next best thing is to have a verified, double-checked story with anonymous sources. And then the worst thing is just not have the story at all. I mean, the, the, these, situ these stories have to matter. It has to be relevant. You know, you just go read the AP rules if you want. But this this thing, it, it's so, so many people with this anonymous sources thing, it's like, oh, they're probably better ex-players. Well, of course they're better. You saw their quotes. That Why does bitter mean that they're wrong? Right. right. People think they're just bitter. That's not usually how it works. That's not – it's very rarely how it works. There's not a world of Kelvin Benjamins out there. Most people, have, when they're bitter, it's for a reason. Like, yeah, I'm bitter because uh, that guy sucked. I didn't like working with him. So I think that was important. I mean there's – I have a lot of thoughts on this, but yeah. And then the other thing is if you say – if you refer to this as trust me, bro, reporting, you're just revealing yourself as a two-online idiot. That's not a real thing. This reminds me of this thing. It's not the exact same, but people just take phrases from like Clay Travis, and it's like Clay Travis invented that. And you're one of like 50 people, not 50, but a very, very small amount of people who listen to him and know what it is. That's not a real phrase you can just throw out into the world. Trust me, bro, reporting is one of those. No one calls it that. Mm -hmm. Like you got you got to knock that shit off. People who say that do not say trust me, bro, reporting. Don't say source. Trust me, bro. You're talking to a guy who Taylor loves Clay Travis. So he really wants to hold up the sanctity of this man's words. Big Clay Travis guy. Right, Taylor? Go Vols. <laughs> well, the other point, too, that I think is worth bringing up aside from the anonymous source thing, which I agree with everything that you said, and I, I appreciate your insight there. So thank you for laying it out like that. But the other thing that really bugged me about all of this is the people who are making a fuss about the timing of it dropping. You know, for one, let's just lay it out from the onset here. Like, it does not matter when he puts that out because he doesn't work for the bills. This isn't like some PR or something like that. He's a journalist and he put it out. He put this story out at a time that's coming off of their bye week after a big loss. And there has been multiple games this season throughout McDermott's tenure in general that they should have won, but did not. And you can look at the mistakes that he had made as a reason for that. That's been happening this season. And it was happening in the Eagles game. So Let's just put that out there for starters. Ty Dunn did not owe the Bills anything in terms of when he ended up putting it out. Taking it a step further, though, the thing that I just, it's just so, I, I don't even think disingenuous is the word, but like there's never going to be a good time for a, a piece like this coming out that's critical or negative because no matter when it comes out, it's always going to be the quote unquote wrong time. If this piece came out, Two weeks ago before the Eagles game, the conversation would be, oh, this is a hit piece because he's putting it out before the biggest game of the year against the best team in the NFL, and it's going to rattle the cage a bit. If the bill, if he did it right after the Eagles game, as we saw this week, oh, it's, a, it's ahead of the biggest game of the year against Kansas City, and it's after this loss, and blah, blah, blah. If he put it out next week, oh, he did it after we had this huge win against Kansas City and rewrited the ship and now things are looking good for us. So he's doing this to try to get the team off the rails. If he did it after the playoffs, oh, well, he's just releasing this now after the playoffs, after they lose, just to highlight the fact that they haven't been able to get over the hump, this, that, the other. Like, There's always going to be a wrong time for people who don't want to face the facts that 
there are some very real negative realities that we need to deal with with this coach. And I think a lot of Bills fans live in this like La La Land bubble where writing anything critical about the team is, you know, the amount of times that I saw an, an attack on his character getting thrown out this week. It, it, it's nonsense. It's, it's reporting it. I, I mean, sure. You can look in through into some of that and you can point out a line here or there that you may feel like is a little bit too slanted or anything like that. But is this really unwarranted? This wasn't like a, I mean, people are acting like this is like a, a, a 20,000 word deep dive on like, why Andy Reid is a bad coach or something like that, or or, or yeah. why Patrick Mahomes isn't a great quarterback. Like we're talking about a guy that has several huge blemishes on his his resume, and this just Homer mindset of thinking that because McDermott is the coach or something, or because he he broke the drought, or because. He has the second best win uh, win percentage in the NFL that he somehow is like absolved of criticism or something. To me, I'm just like, first of all, that's just ridiculous. And it's also goes against everything that like honest journalism really stands for. Again, you can say whatever you want about whether you felt the piece was honest or an attack, whatever. But beyond that, this this mindset that McDermott has taken us to this point that we are now and that we've won the division three years in a row. I'm just like, have some standards here, guys. Like, you know, you can't just look at it and be like, well, he broke the drought, which like, let's be real, was also on like a one in a million miracle play, but it was still amazing that it happened. But like, I feel like we forget that sometimes or he just like had them cruising to the playoffs or something. But beyond that, you have an absolute freak of a quarterback one of the best in the nfl one of the the three best in the league you have a a good enough defense to get there you have one of the best wide receivers in the league you have all the pieces right now so you're not where you were when you broke the drought years ago what was it six years ago now you're not at that point anymore where you have to compare everything that happens now or this has to be something that's just like you know he's held in this regard or whatever like Ted Nolan won a one of Jack Adams and he ended up getting the axe too. Like you can't just like bank he on did? that. What's that? Ted Nolan's Ted Nolan won a Jack Adams? You didn't know that? For the Islanders? For the Sabres, brother. Oh my god. Yes. Sports writers, man. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that because I was just praising the work of a sports writer, but yep. <laughs> good lord, guys. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, dude. He let me tell you when he where are we here? When did he get that Jack Adams? He got it 96, 97. Which I believe was what? right before yeah, making the playoffs it. with Hashik. Yep. But that and again, I'm not comparing Sean McDermott to Ted Nolan, but I'm just saying though that like there is a, a certain standard that it's like this is where we are now. This is the standard that we need to hold ourselves to. And for McDermott, you have a team that for the past few years has been capable of winning a Super Bowl. Like whether we want to admit it or not, or there's obviously holes in the roster, you can go through all of that. But relative to the teams in this league and the talent that the Bills have on their roster, they have been capable of of winning a Super Bowl. They have been good enough. They do have the pieces to do it, but they haven't been able to. I'm not saying that Sean McDermott single-handedly is the reason why they haven't won a Super Bowl, 
but he is a reason and that can't be ignored. And just because he did something that obviously is a beloved moment in, in recent Buffalo sports history for us, that doesn't take away from the fact that this guy chokes in the biggest moments and you have a quarterback that's firmly in his prime right now. And the more and more that McDermott keeps going about things the way that he has with his game management, you're going to be wasting this guy's prime. And you just, you, you can't sit around and, and hope for McDermott to figure that out. Even no. in the Kansas city game today, calling that timeout. Right, like at the end of the game, like I get it, you're doing it to get a look, whatever. But it, it's just it's little things like that. The fact, even more than that, actually, I should I should backtrack. It's not even the timeout. The fact that they went three straight passing plays after they were gifted with a turnover and had all the opportunity in the world to be able to run a bunch of clock off, and they throw the ball repeatedly. And you also don't have James Cook out there because you have to put him in timeout for whatever reason. Like I, I it's just insane to me, you know, like a per, like I feel like for t- tonight, like I know that they ended up giving Cook a chance again eventually, but like, look at the Chiefs. Rasheed Rice had that brutal fumble and he goes out and made that huge catch for them that Mahomes threw that perfect ball to him when he was like falling backwards and ends up catching it. Like, he didn't get put in the doghouse. He was told to go back out there and make a play. And that's what he did. And they just seemingly can't consistently do that with cook. When it feels like every possession that he's out there, there's always, he's just eaten up huge chunks of yards. Yeah. I don't. I mean, there's a lot of annoying things with that, but I think I don't expect a lot of people uh, will have read this piece, paid the eight dollars, read all twenty thousand words. So that's why there's a lot of misconceptions out there. For but sure, it was being based off of a, a headline or what? Uh, uh, some clips that people were seeing on Twitter. For sure, yes. But what you're talking about is actually important because that's discussed too. It's not just about the nine eleven story or or any other weird things in there. It's and it's not. It's just. It's so many things. It's a lot to take in, honestly. But. There's, you know, his interpersonal relationships with other coaches and players is in there, his just some weird uh, behavior. But part of it, I think some of the very important parts of it were players talking about him in key moments, how he simultaneously gets very nervous and feels the need to take control. And they referenced two Kansas City games in there. One was the 2020 game where that was in Buffalo, but no fans because of COVID how he took over the defense from Leslie Frazier for a week. It didn't go well. And then he didn't really take any blame for that. Taking blame was a big part of this, uh, the story as well, or not taking blame, I should say. And then the other one was 13 seconds and how these situations are. And I think we've seen over and over again, how this year in particular, but even in the last few years, the Sabres just the Sabres, Jesus, the bills haven't even been good in close games. They just, they haven't been not the way the team with a good quarterback and a good coach and, should be really. So that's been, it's been a concern and it's, it's showed up over and over again this year. Today's not an example exactly because the defense actually did step up and uh, thank you to Katerius Tony for lining up offsides. That was a huge break for the bills. Crazy. But, but to get back to the, the point here, what I liked about the piece is it does start to get explain some things. It starts to, it adds context to some things that we've noticed. So I, we said on this podcast uh, earlier this, this year, we were talking about 13 seconds. We were talking about the bills and we were also talking about, you know, their, their failures, like they're in big moments. And 
I said about 13 seconds, like, we really don't know what happened. Was that Leslie Frazier's fault? Leslie Frazier's or Sean McDermott's fault? And now we do know. I mean, we know way more about it. It's Sean McDermott was calling the defense that according to the story. So that, that, that helps that, that adds something. It, and then the people talking about him getting visibly nervous, uptight, not trusting the defense, playing off coverage, all these things, playing not to lose sight mentality. It, there was a lot of information on there from different sources saying kind of the same thing about that. Simultaneously, actually want to go back to the not getting along with assistance thing. That's actually important. It's not that common for assistance with good teams to just take lateral moves this often. Often a lateral move is if you feel you have a chance to move up. So like someone like Chad Hall taking a lateral move in this situation is interesting. Same year special teams coach does. Interesting that so many guys went with Dable. That's also interesting uh, that the, the whole idea that Dable was going to take a lateral move. If uh, that would have been, that would have been so, I don't maybe don't want to say damning because sometimes people just don't get along, but that would have been fascinating. Um, but yeah, it really added a lot to that. And I should say, by the way, although this was, you know, well-reported, there's a there's a ton of news gathering involved in this. It was an opinion piece. That's not an insult. It's just that's what it was. There was a really well-sourced, well-reported opinion piece, which is how opinion pieces should be in general. I can't believe I'd have to point out that, but that's just not how they are uh, a lot of the time, unfortunately. But yeah, so you're reading it and you're like, this guy is coming from a certain angle. It's like, yeah, he has he has a point of view. People call that bias sometimes. That's not bias. Point of view. And the last thing I want to say is, you know, Ty is not credentialed by the Bills. That's a different thing. That's not a personal thing. But the Bills really should figure out new media credentialing. That's a lot of people these days. I know it's hard because there's a million people that have blogs and podcasts and they'll all want to be there. But most teams have figured it out. So you figured it out. Do it on a case-by-case basis. Uh, But it, you just, people have to stop and think for a second how crazy it would be to just be like he has a grudge against them because they're not credentialing him even though that's a total non-personal thing they're not credentialing him because he's quote-unquote new media he's not really with a uh a, a traditional outlet he's credentialed by most teams so do you think a guy who covers the entire nfl has his own site that he has to run a different different things he has to do for his subscribers is just like, you know what, fuck these other 25 or whatever teams that I can get access to. Every other player in this league, all the shit that's going on midseason, I'm dropping everything to write a hit piece on Sean McDermott, who, again, he's made clear multiple times he doesn't really think is a good coach for the moment. So what's he trying to do? He's going to try to get Sean McDermott fired, who has nothing to fucking do with press credentials, when he thinks that's a good idea for the Bills? Do you hear yourself? Like, the- he's not, this is not what he's, this is just an opinion from right. a professional football writer. But what he would theoretically be doing in this situ- situation would be helping the Bills. Please, everyone, if you're going to, you know, get mad on Twitter, try to follow your own logic for a second. Well said. That seems like a good place to end things. Do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share, Taylor, before we sign off? Um, I had a recommendation. Oh, yeah. We haven't done recommendations in a while. So I want to do this real quick uh, because I recently was injured, as I, as I said on here. And I had nothing to do for a little while, so I was watching a bunch of movies. Uh, literally a ton of movies, actually. So, and uh, different things. Movies, TV, stand-up specials. I just want to highlight the ones that I recommend even a little bit. Just, I'll hit them real quick. Dream Scenario, Fat Rascal, which is a Stavros Halkas special on Netflix. Um, Thanksgiving, new horror movie. Whiplash, almost a decade old. I had actually never seen it. Knives Out, of course. 
Silence of the Lambs. Never recommended that on here. I've watched that multiple times throughout the years. Always incredible. Blue Chips, since it's a sports movie, I'll definitely recommend that. Stars Shack and Penny Hardaway, it's really good. Nick Nolte as well. Stand By Me, classic. Mm. And what else is on? Oh my god, there's a couple more. The Naked Gun, two and a half. The Smell of Fear, good. And here's the last two. Please Don't Destroy, the SNL trio. I really wanted to watch that. I thought that looked pretty good. Was it good? Yes, the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. It's good. You need a Peacock subscription to watch it, I think. I don't Mm. know if you need a free one or paid one. Or whatever, what level of subscription you need, but I don't know. I'd recommend it if you get like a free trial or whatever. It's good. And then Priscilla. So those are my recommendations from movies I watched in the last three weeks. I love that. I'm gonna go with one movie that I saw today, actually, before the Bills game. I went to North Park Theater and saw The Boy and the Heron, which was a an incredible anime film by uh director Miyazaki. And it was it was great. I mean, it was beautiful animation the score of it was really great too the music within it was was wonderful and i thought lended to the film itself really well um it had made some news recently because they the english adaptation of it has a pretty all-star cast we ended up seeing the like japanese version with the subtitles underneath i highly recommend though i, I want to see both versions of it but i was really glad to have been able to see the like the japanese version of it first but it was it was excellent. It was a really, really great movie. My first one, I, I mean, I know he Miyazaki is a very famous anime director, and I have I don't believe I've seen any of his other pieces or his other films. I, I definitely need to after seeing this one. So highly recommend. I, I think it's it might have ended at North Park today, but if you have the opportunity to see it, The Boy and the Heron, really, really good flick. So check it out. I actually should I'd like to go see that. I saw that it was at North Park, so I might have to go see that this week. Yeah, if you do, let me know what you think. Yeah, we'll do. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using. To listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows across both networks and make sure you're following the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And wherever you're listening to this episode right now, whatever app you're using, streaming platform, make sure you leave us a nice little rating or review and are following or subscribe to us. Last but not least, we have our wonderful, lovely, just fantastic sponsor. That is DraftKings Sportsbook, folks. Make sure you're using that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sitting on the bedroom floor, I-